and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and I'm in studio today with my friend Ron Huntley. It's good to see you, Ron. Hey, Dan. And my other friend, Father James Mallon. It's good to see you. It's good to be seen. So guys, next week, we've, we're going to be bringing on a, a friend of our ministry. Uh, so Jeff Smith from Word Among Us is going to be joining us as a guest. And, and of course, Word Among Us is known for a lot of things, including their, their, their monthly magazine, but they also... They also publish the Divine Renovation books. And so that, that really did get me thinking about uh, the role of, of books in our ministry, the role of books in other ministries. And, you know, while some of us have had a chance to talk a little bit about how we've seen books be used in our in our various ministries, I thought it'd be great, especially to hear some of the, the experiences that St. Benedict Parish has had uh, of, of using books and, and, and mm. learning and applying books inside of the parish context. Mm. So so let, let me throw it out to both of you guys. What, what What's some of the history of, of books at SBP? It makes me, I start to laugh right away because growing up, I was not a good reader. Reading and writing and, and spelling still <laughs> evade me. And I, I find it really challenging. And so reading was always very, very difficult for me. But it's funny because when I think about the role that books have played in my life, it's actually been very significant. And when I think about it in the life of St. Benedict Parish and even as we continue to grow as leaders, it hasn't been small. It's been huge. I, I laugh because when Father James published his book, Divine Renovation, at first, I'm a slow reader. Every few days he'd say, are you done yet? I said, no, I'm not done yet. I'm still, <laughs> still in chapter five. <laughs> I love the book. That's a really long one. <laughs> I read slower than I eat. I promise you that. <laughs> so so books did uh, fit in, not just the ones we've written, but books did fit into to the St. Benedict uh, Parish culture. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Father James. How did you encounter books uh, when you were pastoring, when you were you're leading St. Benedict Parish? How did, how did books come onto your radar even? Well, I'd say that before books on the radar at St. Benedict Parish, I think of my own journey of faith. And, and when I was a teenager and I had this, I was forced to go on this stupid religious weekend <laughs> where I met Ron Huntley. He was at my table. You know, after that experience of, of, of encountering the Lord, uh, I mean, the first religious book that I started to read at that point was a Bible. They gave me a one of those small good news yes. New Testament Bibles with little <laughs> yeah. st- stick f- figures in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I started actually reading the New Testament at, at night when I when I was about 16, 16 years old. And, and later, a couple of years later, I started going out with this girl. I managed to get a girlfriend and uh, she was not Catholic and she started asking me all kinds of questions about, about Catholicism. And I was really confused. I didn't know anything. And someone challenged me to start learning. And so they gave me this catechism book to read. And it was my first time I had ever engaged theological ideas. And that just, just opened up a huge thing for me. And I remember going to my, my, over to my aunt, my, my aunt and uncle's place. We used to, years before, consider them to be a little odd because they were really religious, very Catholic. And, <laughs> and, but I used to go to their house and I'd, I'd drool over their bookshelf. Right. And I'd literally leave with arm, <laughs> armloads of books. And I, I'd started to read and read and read. So reading uh, from the earliest parts of my own spiritual journey was, was hugely important. And I, the first books that I read were primarily uh, books on spirituality and prayer. And then I got into books on theology. And mm-hmm. it really kind of awakened a... a curiosity. And I knew then what I continue to know now that if you're going to grow and develop, you must read. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're not reading, uh, you're not going to grow. It is as simple as that. And I think of those two categories of reading, uh, and I think they're good, they're good, you know, to read books on spirituality so you can 
you know, grow in our in our apprehension or misapprehension of 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 um of God of of the mystery of God mm. and the whole thing is the the more you know about God the more the the more you know you you don't know the closer you are the the closer the the f- further away you are uh like we need to be plant we need to be you know put into the depth of that mystery from time to time and reflect mm. uh theology um is also great you know to read theological books but in recent years since i've become uh a, a pastor and began to struggle with with the sense of this isn't what it ought to be, this isn't what it could be, this isn't what it should be. Uh, I began to read books on what we would call pastoral theology, and that is uh, books that reflect on pastoral practice uh, on a theological basis. And that's the category, really, that we would put divine renovation in in all of the books that, that we've written. So those right. three categories, okay. uh, sp- spirituality, theology, and pastoral theology. Can I ask you a question? I, I, let me let me drive back to, to to those formative days of a young Jimmy Mallon sitting at home, and, and I don't know what you did. Maybe drinking soda. <laughs> I'm trying to picture you at that age. I certainly didn't know you, Ron. You could probably fill in some oh, of those Oh, I remember. Blanks. We got the pictures. <laughs> so when you were back, <laughs> we got pictures. I would love if we could pause right now and just show the video audience a bunch of, of photos. But let me ask you a question. Like in those years, and you're reading various books. It sounded like you said you started reading some spirituality ones, and then into theology. Were there any pivotal ones like were there books in that in that range for you yeah. that were like really resonated and made a difference in your in your in your in your in early days of, of formation absolutely the the first the, the actually the first main theological spiritual book i ever read was were the confessions of saint augustine I read the easy did you? And it was one of the books I got off my aunt's bookshelf. I read Seven Story Mountain by Thomas, oh, Merton. Thomas Merton. And I was really blown away by that. And in, in Seven Story Mountain, he tells the story when he was searching of a of a young uh, Buddhist monk actually as he was investigating Buddhism. This Buddhist monk said, You should you should explore your Christian tradition first. And he recommended the Buddhist monk told Thomas Merton to read the Confessions, Confessions of St. Augustine. Uh-huh. So when I finished reading Seven Story Mountain, I said, well, I'm going to read Confessions of St. Augustine. So I went to the, the a secular bookshop and I got the Penguin version of the Confessions of Augustine. I remember uh, on, on, on the bus in the morning uh, going over for my summer job reading the Confessions of St. Augustine. Awesome. And, and that really kind of blew my mind as well. And I began to have a little journal where I would write quotes down. And then I, I discovered the writings of Carlo Caretto, um, uh, he was a, a writer on topics of prayer and that just kind of blew my mind as well. And, and, um, and then at that point is when I began to have theological questions around my Catholic faith and, and, uh, facing questions I didn't know the answers to. And there were two pivotal books that I read around that, that time. One was, uh, Ralph Martin's crisis of truth. Mm. And, uh, I, I know no Ralph, I'm on the, the, the board for, Renewal Ministries, I often say to him, your book changed my life. It, mm-hmm. it, it awakened me to an awareness that, that there was uh, theological conflict within the church and that was a kind of a, an alternative narrative that, that would maybe challenge the foundations of, 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 of Christian faith. And, and it, certainly I had taken a lot for granted. I just thought that everyone believed the core things of our, about, about our faith. And, and that kind of set me on a theological trajectory, I think. And then a year after that, I discovered a book by Carl Keating. He was the founder of, of Catholic, Catholic Answers. Answers yeah. And it was a book called Catholicism and Fundamentalism. And this was this was in the late 80s, because back then in Canada and the US, 
maybe I, I think that relationships between evangelical Protestants and Catholics are much better today than they were. But back right. then in the late 80s, there was a lot of like, you know, sheep stealing and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people attacking the Catholic faith and asking questions. And I was like most Catholics. I didn't have a clue how to answer these questions. So I started to devour books like that. And, and that book, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, I remember in my, my, my summer job, during my lunch break, you know, sitting down and, and re- reading this book. And, and it kind of went from there, just reading books like that. That's really cool. I can remember, I, I remember reading um, Catholicism and Fundamentalism. It's the yellow covered book. Yeah, it was right. the yellow <laughs> cover. It's actually quite a thick And speaking book. of that, which is really cool. So in he's got a chapter in that book. There was a little publications called Jack Chick Tracks. And anyone who's, some people who are listening, Catholic and non-Catholic, might know about them. They, they tend to be very kind of anti-Catholic in an extreme way. I was at the bank on Tuesday and I went to the bank. <laughs> to Tuesday? Cheat. There was a Jack Chick track <laughs> at the bank. I was like, Jack Chick. I actually took a point. Uh, I actually took a picture on it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was a little, little, little track. So that's, uh, there's a whole chapter in Catholicism and fundamentalism on the, on the Jack, Jack Chick Tracks. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> it's also interesting to hear that Seven Story uh, Mountain had a, a had a role because I know that book impacted a lot of people at the time it came out. Yeah. It was a really pivotal book. I, I still remember key parts of that book, like key key ideas that that struck me and kind of challenged my whole worldview. I mean, I think that's the power of books, isn't it? Mm. It's it's the see ideas are so powerful. They really are powerful. Now, ideas are not enough, but we need to be challenged. We need to be challenged mm. in our in our thinking. That's why. I really believe if you're not reading, you're not growing. Mm. So Ron, help me understand the, the role that some of the books in, in your life have played. Like, mm. uh, have they been important to you? Far less. I, I look at my style of living life has been basically diving into things I don't know what I'm doing and learn by doing. But it's not that books haven't played a role because they haven't. And I would agree. A lot of the books I've read, and it was probably after school that I started, like probably university, I actually started doing any reading. I mean, I read a little bit before that, but not very much. Mm. I was the guy in the unsustained silent reading in school that would just open up a book and not read a single word because it was really hard for me. And, you know, uh, so it wasn't until later on that I began to get a real hunger for books. And in fact, now I do audiobooks because that's really easy for me and I actually really enjoy it. Uh, easier for me to comprehend. But uh, I read a lot, I've read a lot of books on leadership. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was really devouring leadership books because I knew you could do it well and I I knew it could be done poorly. And I just really felt convicted that um, I needed to get real. I needed to, I want to understand people. And, uh, you know, I've, when you look at strength finders and strength themes I've influencing, so do you, well, both of you, all three of us do. And I thought if I'm going to use, if I'm going to live out who I am, I need to do it well. And so I, I really dove into leadership books. But when I think about our time at St. Benedict Parish, I, books played a huge role in Father James' life. And I can remember a number of occasions where, you know, in his travels speaking, he would connect with people and maybe he'd meet an author and decide to read their book or maybe somebody that you valued would suggest a book and he'd get it, read it on the plane on the way back. Now, I'd have to fly around the world six times to read a book. <laughs> he could probably do it in one flight. And he'd land and he'd be so excited that he'd end up buying boxes and boxes of books, preach into it, and invite the whole church to read it. And how I experienced that is it began to change the conversations we were having. You know, I I would say, as I experienced it, you were using books to change people's thinking and get, you know, it was changing our culture because we're having different conversations. You were 
you are injecting different ways of thinking. We, we need to, to dislodge people's framework. You know, that, that's the thing we all have. And it's, it's really a, 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 a kind of expression of culture, but we have a presumed framework that, that we look at th- things in. And, and if we're going to mobilize a church, we, we need to shake up. We need to shake the foundation. It really that, that really started when in the early years at St. Benedict Parish when we started launching stewardship campaigns. We did three a year. We did one in September, and it was about spiritual growth. It was like, what's your spiritual plan for the coming year? And we we had like it was back when we did like tons of programs. Yeah. Now we've wisened up. We're we're moving from you know programs more to process, but but we had tons of adult faith formation programs and opportunities, and we even had and I was proud of this. We had. Uh, we had a book club for people who, who were too busy for the club. Right. So we what we wanted to do was like eliminate the chance for people to have excuses. So I've got no time for that. And well, can, can you read a book? Right. And we're going to even make it so easy that you mm. don't have to show up. There, there is no club to show up for. And so I started doing, I think about three, four times a year, I would select a book, usually a book that I had been reading, and I'd work it into a homily and I'd put it up on the screen and we'd that very weekend, I would have we would have normally bring in like three, four hundred copies. I think one of the first books we did was Prayer for Beginners by Peter Kraft. It was a very small, powerful, amazingly powerful book. Again, you talk about books. Let's start with the spiritual. Let's start with a prayer foundation mm. because prayer is going to really awaken the desire to learn more which brings you to books on theology. And once you get the theology and the desire, then you're ready to do more, to mm. do something different. And I think that's the, the movement from, you know, sp- books that are based on prayer and spirituality to on theology to pastoral practice. Mm. And, and another, the, I suspect the size of it, and I love Peter Kraft's work, I, I suspect the size of, of especially, I've, I've seen most of his books. I don't know if I've actually read Prayer for Beginners. It's about 110 pages. It makes it so approachable, small pages, right? very easy to read. And it's... Yeah. And, Prayer for beginners, man. I needed that book. Like I, the, the more I, the more I go into prayer, the more I realize I am a beginner. Mm. That's it. I mean, if you, if you, there's no, yeah, it, it was applicable to everyone. I mean, there's nothing like going back to the basics. We did. Uh, there was another book that I read coming back from a conference by Graham Tomlin, who's now a, an Anglican bishop in in London, and he was involved with HTB. It was called the Provocative Church, and it, I, I, the thing I loved about that book is that it really shifted the paradigm because we. Traditionally, in church, especially in, the, in an era of, of where it's trendy to talk about the new evangelization, it's like people need Jesus. We should evangelize, so go out and evangelize. And it's like the, the average person doesn't want to be evangelized. They don't <laughs> give a rip about what we believe. And you can't just go up and start talking to people about that. They're not interested. We are now in a post-Christian culture. Mm. We're wearing T-shirts that says, been there, done that, get out of my face. I don't want to hear about your mm. religion, about your God. And, and I, as I heard someone say, about six months ago, this new apostolic age that we're in, if the first apostolic age, the task of the church was to was to woo a shy maiden, now the task of the church is to win back a bitter divorcee. So mm. people don't want our proclamation. They don't want what we have to offer. And the whole premise of his book is that we've got to live as Christians in a provocative way that, as, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, always have your answer ready for those who ask the reason for your hope. We live in such a provocative way that people say, what, what is it? What, why, why are you the way you are? Then you can start talking about your faith. Then you can start talking about Jesus. Then you can say, come and see. We've got this thing in our church. Mm. And I think that's a very important uh, thing to grasp for us as a church in this postmodern world. You know, and I, I think, I remember when you brought Rebuilt, 
Mm -hmm. That same idea you brought rebuilt to the church. And I pick up that book and I remember laughing out loud on so many occasions because Tom and Father Mike just have an incredible way of just speaking truth very bluntly that would just have me slapping my knee and laughing out loud, which again, they just pinpoint all kinds of things that we do that absolutely don't work if we're living the great commission and the great commandment, right? Mm. It's just not, it's not working. And, and they just put their finger on it so beautifully. And, and it just made me laugh because I could relate to so much of it. And it was really helpful for me to start thinking differently. And that was, that's a book that had a big impact in my life. But I'll, I'll never forget something you just said, Father James. I remember being with a group of uh, folks and, and we were praying and one of the people there just spoke such eloquent words from Christ. I believe God is saying, and he just poured out his heart in a beautiful, succinct way. And it really moved me and impacted me. And I went up to him after it was all over. His name is Joe uh, Fahey. And mm-hmm. I said, Joe, where does that come from? Because it was profound and sincere and authentic. Where did that come from? And he looked right at me and he said, if you want to know the heart of God, you need to know his word. Mm-hmm. And it just convicted me so deeply because I've used not being a good reader as an excuse Mm. not to read scripture. And I realized that I can't keep putting off the Bible if I say I want to live, if I say I'm a Christian and want to move closer to Christ. And so that, you know, so the Bible's played a huge role in my life, has had a huge impact and still does daily. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I think that's, it's it's an interesting and it's so so key, and it, it, it and frankly, in, in so many Catholic parishes, it's absolutely countercultural. Uh, to, let, let's read the Bible is not something that a <laughs> lot of Catholics get together and, and and say. And I think that's such a tragedy, right? Because I mean, there's so much there's so much to be gained by by spending time in, in Scripture. And I think you know, culturally, uh, we we we've got a, a long cliff to, to climb uh, in terms yeah, of you, you talk about the, the the impact of culture. The thing is that we have to remember is that prior to the invention of the printing press in the beginning of the 16th century. You had to be the equivalent of a millionaire to own a Bible. I recently heard a, a non-Catholic speaker uh, drop a line in about you know how the Reformation gave the Bible back to people. I'm like, come on, man, what are you talking about? Gave the Bible back to people? The Reformation, you know, Luther, you know, hammered his 95 theses in the wall. I think about what eight years after the invention of the printing press. Uh, bef- before that, you, the, people didn't have a Bible, and 98 percent of people were illiterate. They were they couldn't read, so. We, we, we tend to, uh, you know, impose our what we presume in the present on, onto, our, uh, on, onto what we see of the past. Uh, but the truth is that, that for most of our, of, of our history as a church, people did not own Bibles and they weren't literate. And so they received the scripture stories through art and, and plays and drama and, and hearing oral proclamation that the scriptures would be read out loud. That's how it was done in the early church. And, and so... It's very difficult to shake that, you know. It, it is, and and we have you know lectionaries that have what we call pericopes. That's the the particular uh, section of scripture that that's 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 read, and also Catholics were very much impacted by the fallout of the Reformation, where where scripture then was viewed as as suspicious. It's actually risky to sit down with the Bible by yourself, and so it was discouraged. Now, this really began to shift around, I think it was around 1946 or 1947, Pope Pius XII wrote uh, an encyclical called Divino Aflanti Spiritu, Spiritu on, on Scripture. And in that encyclical, he virtually begged Catholics to begin to read the Bible, to pray with Scripture. And all these years later, we're not much further along. I mean, even the Second Vatican Council 
stress this so much as well. And we 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 were reintroduced to the the, the great quote of Saint Augustine. Oh, sorry, of Saint Jerome, who said, "Ignorantia scripturi, ignorantia Christi." Ignorance of the Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And I still think today. Uh, that it's woefully inadequate, woefully lacking in, in among so many Catholics. And we don't have an excuse anymore. We we have not just the printing press, <laughs> we have digital files. I mean, it's That's like true. we have. If you can't even read, if you, if in you know, <laughs> audio. most of us can read, but if you can't read, uh, you have. We have audio books, so we have. We really have no excuse. And and really, in terms of reading. In, in terms of a, you want something that's going to bring you, you know, spiritual renewal and theological renewal and, and drive you to practice, you know, par excellence that the book is, 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 is scripture itself. It's the Bible. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think every single day we've, we Catholics have to, ought to have a, a concrete plan for daily scripture reading, where it's the daily mass readings, the liturgy, the hours, or a, a reading plan that can walk you through the scriptures. This is absolutely essential. I think so much of, of what is wrong in the church today can be, can be fixed if we're more firmly rooted in God's word. And that's one of the things I love about the word among us is through their magazine, they help people to do that. One of the things that we have to recognize too is people learn differently. And so academics asking them to read, no problem. You don't even have to ask them to read. Just give them a topic. If they're interested in it, they'll go get 15 books on it and read it like crazy. Somebody like me, I'm not going to do that. It's just not my style. It's not how I experience life. It's not how I learn. I learn by sitting at the feet of wise people and, and sharing and then entering in discussion and dialogue. That doesn't mean I don't read. But that's why I love what we've been doing at St. Benedict Parish. Like you mentioned, these mm. book clubs without the club. Well, now we've put the club onto, into it with respect to how we do discipleship groups. What we're saying is devour content, but do it socially. Like do it mm. with a group of people. Grab some people you know and care about and get together and, and break down this stuff together. Go on a journey together. And that's one of the ways that we've uh, started to impact the culture at St. Benedict. Try to make reading and spiritual reflection, Bible reading, normal is by doing it in groups because yep. I'm more than happy to get together with a bunch of friends. Yep. And, and, and reading is is like, it's, it's, it's a little bit more painful for me, but I don't mind paying that price to be together with my friends and have great conversations because it's the great conversations that really inspires me and, and those social uh, areas. But, you know, there'll be academics that they don't actually need that. So they don't have a, they're introverts and they might not have a strong need to get together with people. They're just as happy to engage in, and think and process and comprehend and have incredible dis dialogues all by themselves. <laughs> and, and so we need different strategies. And so uh, doing it at Lent for us is something that we've done, what, four years now in a row that we've yeah. invited people to get into small groups, get in, make it form a discipleship group, and we give them one book that we'd recommend so that together we can go on that journey. And it's, we've normalized it into our culture and we're doing well, one right. now. in yeah. many respects. I mean, the one they're doing uh, in this Lenten series, my mom's going to the, because the, one of the big shifts that the um, the parish has made this year is not only are they encouraging small groups, but they're also, they're also inviting people to a big group inside of the parish. And so, and so I know my mom went to the, the daytime one, they're doing a daytime and an evening the daytime one, there was like 80 people showed up uh, for, for the Lenten discipleship group. And so she was in a small group of, of people and she loved it. She thought it was amazing. Like she came back, she was raving about it uh, to me. And, uh, and, and, 
so, you know, one of the things that they're covering there is uh, that the book they're using is one by um, Dinah Simmons uh, about Mary Magdalene, Apostle to the Apostles. And so really what they're doing is they're, they're using, um, it's, it's a, it's... Uh, D- Dinah's a staff member. It's yeah, Dinah's a staff member at St. Benedict Parish as well. And and so what they're doing though, I mean, they're, they're, they're reading this, but they're also having the opportunity to go into scripture. You're reading two books at once. It's, <laughs> it's double for your money, right? You're reading the, the, the scripture study and you're also reading the Bible. And it's, it's, it's a great time for, for that communal reading to be happening and to be going through both at the same time. I want to just uh, circle back a little bit. You mentioned about the time we, we had everyone reading Rebuilt, or not everyone, but we I think we ordered like almost 500 copies or mm-hmm. eventually. But what had happened was I was uh, going out to a conference in Los Angeles, and a little bit before that, um, a certain publishing, well, the, the people who published that, that book had reached out to me to see if, mm-hmm. if I'd want to publish a book with them, and I had already signed an agreement with... Novalis and was already had started to write my book, Divine Renovation. And they told me about this, this new book that had, that is was about to be published. So they sent me a, a copy of it before it was released. That's how you got it. So I, I started reading it and <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe this. Like I was thinking, I thought I was the only crazy priest out there who was grappling with these things. And I was like, it was like finding my long lost brother. And I'm, I was, I'm, I'm turning page. I was just devouring it because it was also giving the inside track of the, of the agony of a pastor mm. who has a heart to see his church go and to reach people outside the church. And it was, it was written in such, in such a you know, very humorous way and a way that would, I think, again, dislodge people and, and, as, as we were seeking to do that very thing and, 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 and seeing it happen, at that point at St. Benedict Parish, we were starting to get a lot of pushback because the model of, of, uh, of priesthood was shifting and people were, people were feeling that it wasn't about them anymore. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of kind of pushback and complaining. And I thought that, that this book gave a phenomenal kind of insider focus on, on, on mission and what it is like to be on the inside trying to turn a parish in, in, in the right direction. So I thought... What a what a great time! And I preached a I preached a whole homily on it, and we had the image of the book up on the screen, and we had hundreds of copies available. They sold out in the first weekend. We had to order a new batch, and people started reading it. And you know, weekend attendance of fourteen fifteen hundred people. When you sell five hundred books, and and people start uh, sharing them with with one another, and there was there was all kinds of reactions, but it changed the conversation, and it, and it dis, it further dislodged us, mm. and. I would recommend any any parish leaders or church leaders who are listening, like really think about the the potential for books to do just that. You know, when first wrote Saint uh, uh, when I first wrote Saint Benedict Parish, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> when I first wrote Stay Divine tuned. Renovation, my I thought the only people who would read this book would be uh, pastors and parish leaders, like pastoral council members. I didn't think that average Catholics would read this book. I really didn't. I was shocked. And I realized that, yeah, this book is really for anyone who cares. Right. And what we're hearing, uh, you know, how that, that book has impacted so, so many people, it, it really is amazing. But more and more, what, what I'm hearing about is pastors who are doing exactly the same thing with Divine Renovation as I did with the Rebuilt book. Yeah. I was, sorry, I'm going on and on here, but when we were in the UK uh, last month, there was some, uh, some people came from Scotland. Yay, my home country. And I found out that in Glasgow, there was one parish that ordered a hundred copies. They asked people to sign up and they ordered a hundred copies of the book and they, and they, they sold out and they were having book studies. 
And they were going to spend like all of Lent go, going through the book. And I'm hearing more and more of parishes that are doing that because what does it do? Mm. It, it dislodges people and it helps form vision. Mm. And this is another reason why we need to read books like this if we're going to move from maintenance to mission because in, for most people, their experience of church, they've never experienced living in a missional direction. And so we don't know what it's like. Mm. And so we need our imagination to be, to be, to be captured. We need mm. to be able to paint a picture because if you want people to be have on board with the vision, that means they've got to be excited about a picture of the future. Well, how are they going to have a picture of the future if they don't have a clue what it can look like? Mm. And this is where books like Rebuild and other books, I'm not just saying it's our, it's our, our books, but this is where books, period, are, are, are going to come into play. Mm. Can I ask you guys a question? So you, you bought 500 or so copies of Rebuild, and, and it's, it's a great book. Um, but is there a difference between uh, the books you're trying to invite parishioners to read to the ones that you might invite, be inviting staff or, or leadership people, whether they're volunteer or paid. Like, like is there, is there a difference? Like, are there two, two grades or is it just, you know, everyone's reading the same book. How did, how did it work at St. Benedict and what makes the most sense? There's several books that we've used to influence the staff and even sometimes just the leadership team. It's not that they're not applicable to other people and they couldn't benefit from it as well. But every time you ask somebody to do thing, you're, it's a withdrawal. Like you're, yeah. you're inviting, you're right? So there's only so many withdrawals you can make on your entire you career. Read this, read many, that, read How many this. asks you're making of people. <laughs> right. And so you have to go at a certain pace and you have to think about what might be most relevant. But, you know, when you're focused on leadership, well, and, and you have a smaller group and you have a similar, you know, you have the same goal and goals in mind, well, you also recognize you have similar problems. And so we've used all like Lencioni's books, like our meetings mm -hmm. needed to adjust and shift. And Tanya Rogerson, one of our staff members at the time, uh, was influenced by Patrick Lencioni's stuff. So she got death by meeting and, uh, and five dysfunctions of a team. And that, oh, talk about dislodging your thinking. Like yeah, it was right. awesome. And that still impacts as we coach into that in terms of the churches. But I also think about books like... Um, like living the blessed life when we we're trying to think, rethink how do we approach giving mm. and, and help because as Catholics we're the lowest givers of all denominations, not always hate being last in anything, but that really impacts what we can do. And, and so that was a book we used first as a as senior leadership team. And then we brought it to the church. But, you know, I think of the book crucial conversations, like, boy, did that ever give us skills that we were so we didn't know we didn't have, or we didn't yeah. know it was possible to get better at those things. Again, it, changed our thing and what we would do we would do a bit of a rollout we would you know from going to things like the global leadership summit or different events we would identify key books that could help us to grow and constantly be challenged because here's the thing you, we never arrive you've, you've got to constantly allow yourself to be challenged to to get outside of your box and to continue to grow it's a, it's the thing like if you're still alive you can still grow and so we would starting really with the senior leadership team for you know for quite a while there and I, I have to be honest, at first, I actually resisted it. It was like, you want me to do another thing? It, it, <laughs> it was the first half hour of our weekly meeting. We would agree to read a book and we would take turns presenting on the chapter to one another and having a discussion. And I think that was actually a phenomenal thing because it that culture of learning and growing, because if you're going to be a leader, the best of leaders are always growing. And so we would, we would kind of um, go through this book ourselves and... And, and then we would, we would share it with the, 
mm-hmm. parish staff. We would have an all-staff meeting and we would have a presentation on the key concepts of this book and invite the staff to read it. And then eventually, these same concepts we would use at a leadership summit and, and share with our ministry leaders. So mm-hmm. although we weren't going out to absolutely everyone in the church, we were there was a bubble-up effect from really drilling into the stuff as a, as a senior leadership team with the parish staff and then with all the ministry leaders. And that went a long way to really helping us to develop a culture of leadership. And we have to give credit to Father Simon Lobo because we would go to those global leadership summits, love every minute of it, take tons of notes, take it all in. And like most conferences, a couple of weeks later, it's a distant memory. And I remember him saying, well, what are we going to do about it? I'm thinking, well, what do you mean? What are we going to do? <laughs> like, we've already done it, haven't we? Yeah, it was, like, we really enjoyed it. There were some great <laughs> ideas. I can't remember what they were, but they were really great. Took lots of people with us. We had fun. We built communities. Like, no, that's not good enough. And and he's the one that said, we should pick one. And he recommended Crucial Conversations. Right. And so it was just a real treat. Uh, and it began to form, like you say, what we did at this senior Because here's a key thing, again, with the thing about conferences, we were at a conference recently ourselves and we were reminded that it, even if, if you go to a conference and hear a talk, and even if you take notes, in the end, you'll probably retain only about 5% of what you heard. And a reminder that that with learning, it's it's only only 10% of what we learn comes from books and conferences. Now, it's a fundamental 10% because it can set yeah. a trajectory. And I think that's the important thing to say learning, adult learning is only 10% that comes from reading and conferences. It's a very important 10% because it will change your paradigm. It will it will it will point you in a very different direction. But if if you stop there, it, it's definitely not going to be enough. That another twenty percent of learning is is in a, a kind of apprenticing experience where you're being uh, equipped, and then seventy percent of learning is going back to where you came from and actually doing it. And by reading into this in in applying it at the different levels and really moving into into let's actually live this. I think of one book we did from a talk at, at, at the Global Leadership Summit on execution. Four disciplines of execution. Yes, and so we, we actually, it led to action, and we we set up, a, was it the Harry Od- Audacious Goal or something? The Hag. The Big yeah, Harry yeah, Audacious Goal. Yeah, the Big Harry. Yeah, no, it's called a wig, wildly important goal. Wildly important yeah. goal, and we actually came up with a compelling scoreboard, and we <laughs> we actually sought to to on our goal that 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 year was to onboard X amount of new people into ministry, and X amount of people for the first time, X amount of people making a huge jump in their ministry commitment, under or, 35 or as under well the age of thirty five, and we we held each other accountable to it, and we celebrated it, and and it made an impact. It actually it, those needles on those score on on on, on that. Um, scoreboard scoreboard moved and it all started with reading a book Hmm. so it led to led to action yeah i want to make a quick observation uh we've talked about all sorts of of books and i suspect there's a few people who've been listening or or got their pencil out and they've been jotting down some of them i just want it's interesting to note that we've talked about books that are are are, are catholic we've talked about books from other from people from other traditions have written and we've talked about books that are written in 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 the secular context and it's just i think there's 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 actually some wisdom in recognizing that we have something to learn uh, across the spectrum absolutely and if if we pitch in our whole ourselves and say we're only going to read you know books by Catholic publishers that, that, you know, are being, are written by Catholics that I think we're missing out on, on a lot of opportunity. I, I think it was um, Aristotle or Plato who once said, it's the mark of an educated mind to, uh, to entertain an idea without accepting it. And, and that just means that mm. just because um, there may be some elements of ideas in particular books that, that are not applicable to our, our Catholic culture or, or context or, or theology, 
doesn't mean that there's not value in entertaining those ideas. And besides that, in most books, 90% of what's there is usually applicable to some extent. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's always fruitful to, to grapple. We shouldn't be afraid of exposing ourselves to things that don't necessarily come out of our particular um, culture. And, and we've received so much. We continue to receive so much from the writing, especially of non-Catholic leaders on the area of leadership and church renewal. So, guys, we're going to be back here again next week with uh, Jeff Smith, a publisher, uh, and our, our publisher, our publishing partner, Jeff Smith. So we'll be back next week. We'll have a chance to talk a little bit about uh, his experience of working in the publishing field, and, and I'm really ex- excited to hear some of his own personal stories and personal testimonies. If, if you've been along for the ride today, uh, I, I, you know, I think the right thing here is to challenge you, challenge you to pick up a book. And if you're one of those Catholics who isn't diving into Scripture every day, then the right book is going to be the Holy Bible. And so I, I would challenge you to pick up that book, and we look forward to to being with you again next week. God bless.